This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Hi, this is Taylor Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers and this is the taylor stevens show with my good friend steve campbell where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time and taylor i know we have chit chat today i don't know what it is and i'm not really sure how to introduce it because we've talked about it multiple times and and my 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 level of excitement for this story that you're going to tell is so high that I, you, you've got to just really nail it. Are you up to it? I've got to nail it. No. <laughs> I'll never live up to those expectations. Steve has no idea what this story is. We've just talked about it as a, this is going to be the chit-chat, as in this amorphous, no idea what it is thing. So now he's like going to be disappointed. Sorry, Steve. No. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. But that's because I am the butt of the joke. So there's this uh, there's a there's a there's a word for it. I want to say propagandia or something like that, where people cannot recognize faces very well. And then there's the opposite of it, where that's kind of what I have. Where like I see uh, if, if I see a face, there's like I'm gonna I'm gonna know I'm gonna see it again and I'm gonna go I know that face it's as I get older, it's not as it's weakening. It's not as strong. When I was younger, I could see somebody just once randomly, like standing at a counter in a, in a store and bump into them four years later in a grocery store and know that I know them from somewhere and it'll take me a while, but I'll figure it out. Right. So the, the flip side of that is, um, well, you'll see the flip side of that in just a minute. So <laughs> I was, uh, I was working outside is after I'd done, gone my writing done for the day and I was going out and doing, you know, gardening stuff, picking things up. And I had uh, some heat lamps that I needed to move into their storage location. And the storage is really close. It like abuts the, the pen where the goose, the geese go in to sleep at night. My, my buffs, my babies. Right. I, otherwise, I, I hate to interrupt your flow here with this, with what I know is going to be a great story. But are you just a little bit behind in moving the heat lamps, or has it actually been cold enough that you needed heat? <laughs> no, no. Um, we had, <laughs> after all those big disasters and everything, life has just been really busy. And so I had them in the greenhouse. They were just sitting in there. And the greenhouse kind of started getting overgrown because I haven't taken care of it at all in months. And I was like, okay, I need to clean this thing up. And so part of that means putting away things that don't belong putting them where they properly belong or whatever. So I, I was hauling them out of there to put them in their proper place. And so down in uh, that area where I store all the chicken stuff, it's right abuts the goose pen. And these are for, for my babies. Like I'll let the other geese wander, do whatever they want at night. But these ones, I like, I still don't trust that nothing's going to come get them because they're slower and bigger and not as squawky or aggressive. So in that goose pen is a repurposed little chicken house. And 
I put straw down in there for the geese so that they have some shelter. If it rains, they can get in there. It'll be dry, whatever. And the sides at the bottom are very fine. Uh, they call it hardware cloth. So it's like wire, but it's got really small holes in it. So things can't get in, but you can see through it perfectly well. And every once in a while, I'll go in there and I'll see like a batch of chicken eggs. Like chickens have decided to wander in there and use that nice straw as a place to lay their eggs. So every once in a while, I'll just peek in there just to see if there's eggs that need to be cleared out of there. And so when I was standing at this storage thing and I looked in, I saw from the angle that I was there, I saw what there were shadows and it looked to me like maybe there was a snake inside that net little nesting area. And I thought, that's a really big snake. <laughs> you know. And so I was like, I got to get a picture of this. I got to see what this is. And then so I, so I put my stuff in and I looked back up and I swear to God, there were eyes in there staring at me. And there was a cat in there, like maybe four to six months old, not quite full grown cat. And it, the eyes were light, like they had, it was blue green eyes. And it was like, it was laying on its side and it had turned around and looked at me. You know, that, that look where the ears are up and the eyes are looking at you. And I went, no way. So I went around I had, there was no direct way in. I had to go around the fence to get in. And when I went looking there, it's completely empty. And I'm like, what? Like, this, this doesn't make any sense. There's only one way in and out. Even if the cat had decided to jump or something, I would have heard movement. There's nothing. And, and, and I, I couldn't understand. It wasn't a snake either. It was just empty. And... I'm looking around, I'm looking around, trying to see where this cat could have come. I swear to God, as a cat, like I'm thinking, could it have been a, a raccoon? No. Could it have been a possum? Absolutely not. Could it have been a, you know, a fox? No. I mean, maybe. No. It was a cat. I, I saw a cat. And so then I was like, okay, well, it's nowhere. And I, I went out, I looked around some more to see, like, did it, is it in the, you know, near the pasture? Like, where is it? No, nothing. So, okay. So I went back to what I was doing and I went to close up the shed and I looked over there and insert a bunch of swear words. <laughs> that face was staring at me again. But this time I realized, okay, I know there's no cat in there, but I swear to God, I'm seeing a cat. So what the bleepity bleep is going on? So I go back in there. I know by this time I'm not, there's, there's no cat. It's not like that cat vanished, it was there and vanished and came back. So what is going on? So I go in there and I look at it from a distance while I'm in there and I still see the cat, the face. It's looking at me. <laughs> but now I know, okay, there's no, there's no body. <laughs> okay, I'm close enough to see that that was shadow. And I go closer and all it is is feathers and leaves and stuff entwined in the mesh and it created the perfect pattern combined that from a distance it was two matching eyes in exactly <laughs> the right space and that you know how when a cat's ear is up and pointed and turned it's a little bit lighter on the inside because you're seeing the inside of the cat's ear 
it, it was like that. And I, I, I called somebody. I was like, you have to come see this. <laughs> and they're like, uh, well, I see a face. I, I don't know that it's necessarily a cat, but I, I see what you see. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm not going insane. But it was a cat, Steve. It was a cat twice. It was a cat. And it just vanished. And then I realized it was my it was my stupid brain pattern recognition picking up <laughs> on something. But it was so real that when it disappeared, I was like confused like what what am i dealing with how did this happen because that's how convinced i was that i had seen a cat so when that's you my story when you looked around from a different angle you saw the same stuff but it was from a different angle so it didn't compute into a cat face only when i got really close and i could see the actual outlines of the leaves themselves and the feathers and i could break them down and distinguish what they were and I'm like, okay, that's feather, that's leaf. But even from up close, it was still all positioned in the right place that if you, you know how those 3D pictures where if you, you make your eyes go funny, you can see the 3D design really big in the 90s. Yes, um, and I hate those things because I'm, I'm really bad at it. <laughs> even from up close, if you had done that with your eyes, you would have still seen the face. It was that like perfect in, in the way it was outlined. It was just nuts. And it so was the face of like, um, you know, have you, have you ever seen like a seal point Siamese where the, the face is dark and then you've got all those, br those bright eyes staring out at you. Mm -hmm. That's what it was like a dark face, a dark face on a cat, which is what my daughter's cat look like, looks like. And I, I honestly thought, how did, how did that cat get out of the house? Like, did it get out of the house and just come into here for, for safety? Like, that's what I thought. <laughs> it was that real. So this sounds like a person who is, is going from doing lots of like tactile farm type work and moving things and doing all this stuff to maybe getting a little bit more involved in the creative processes. <laughs> that was, that was a good attempt. That's a really good <laughs> we'll, attempt. We'll give it a good solid seven. <laughs> we'll give it a one yes. to 10. <laughs> yes. Okay. In this week's episode, we are actually going to be talking about, uh, Taylor's return to the creative process, or maybe not so much just Taylor's, but returning to the creative process in general. Yes. And this question is actually that the, the topic is in response to question that was uh, given to me, answered to me um, in, in the Facebook group. Uh, I, I was like, I, I wasn't prepared at all because I swear we, we, we just recorded, Steve. How? Why are we recording again? <laughs> and I had I had no material prepared, and so I put out a call for help in the Facebook group, asking for questions that people like. What do people want to know? And so this this series of questions came from Liv, who is longtime listener, longtime fan, also a patron, who is responsible. I mean, patrons are the ones who are keeping this show running. So, so many thanks to you, Liv, not just for the questions, but for the patronage and support. That is what keeps the websites up, the shows running and keeps the roof over my head. And so thank you very much for that. So here's the question, basically. I'm just going to, I cleaned it up a little tiny bit of editing for the sake of readability on the air. And I'm just going to more or less read that as it is. And then we'll take from there. So she asks, 
how do you get back into your story idea, but also back into your creative process? Whether it's the duration of time away or perhaps just the nature of the distraction, for example, COVID and everything else that is going on in all our lives, I think there's a thing such as a short break, and then there are disruptions so great that we have to dramatically shift our mental state in order to get back to creative work. Are there any things that you have done to get back in the mindset other than just rereading your work? A few months ago, I absolutely knew I was not ready to get back to it, and I gave myself the time to not do that. Now, I do feel like I'm ready to get back to it, but it feels like starting over. I don't so much want a shortcut as I would just love to hear about what the process has been like for you and if you have any insights or takeaways. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about me, me, all me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that is a great question because it's something that that we all go through at one at one time or another. So this this the answer applies to everyone. Yeah, I think so. It's going to apply probably differently to different people. I, all I can ever do really is, you know, work off my own experience. So this is a very, very real thing, uh, the time away and also the distraction. I, mean, I think both are happening to a lot of people right now. These last two years have just been somewhat chaotic for, for many. And I, I know there are authors. I've, I've met them who, for example, I'll be at a big book conference and they'll be like, yeah, I need to go finish this chapter that I'm working on. And they'll go up to their room, they'll pump out 2000 words, and then they'll just come back and join everyone else. And I'm just like, I can't do that. So this discussion is not for those types of people. (laughs) This is for the mortals among us who, (laughs) who really, (laughs) who are like me. And I, being away from the work is is a big deal. Distraction, it's a big deal. So for me, the longer I am away from it, the harder it is for me to get back to it. And it really is like starting over. It doesn't just feel like it. It is like starting over. And that's why this book that I'm writing on, writing now, The Fulcrum, which is Monroe number seven, I guess. Um, I've, I've come back, I've had to stop it so many times that the first chapters are like polished and the rest is just a complete mess because every time I went away from it and came back, I had to start over. It wasn't just like starting over. I had to start over. I had to go back to the beginning. So for me, even just a day or two away from it throws me completely off. So that's been really hard for people to understand in my life or even people who want things from me like at events. I've become very anti going to other events. And the reason for it is that attending those takes such toll on me. It's not just the few hours of the event. It's not even just the whole day, because it is a whole day. You know, you've got to get ready. You've got to get there. You've got to attend it. You've got to get back. Okay. That day is a wash for writing, but it's because the next day is also a wash because I've been away from it. So one day away, 
I just know my next day is going to be crap because I've been away from it. It's why I don't like taking days off. It's not workaholicism. It's that the writing process is a marathon. If I stop to rest now, it's not going to shorten my journey or make my journey easier. It's going to tack it on at the end. So time off for me now, I tend to make it more like in big lumps. I'll either make it in big lumps between the books, which (laughs) has been a while since I've had one of those, or just know like I'm going to take a week off now and I'll deal with the consequences of that because if I do it a day off here, a day off there, this becomes a disaster for me because it's going to take me a day off and then a day to get back into it. And I, I did talk about that a little bit, I think, when I was discussing the big brain break. That was a long time ago. So a lot of those details might have gotten lost, and I don't even ever remember where I said those details. It might have been in an email, not on the podcast. I don't know. But leading up to the time that the big brain break happened, I was supposed to be writing Liar's Legacy. And I started falling very far behind so that by the time the book was due, I didn't even have half of a full first draft. I didn't even know how those, the last half of the book's chapters were supposed to go. I didn't know how the story was going to tie together. And one of the reasons that I got that delayed to begin with wasn't it wasn't just because the book was so complex. It wasn't just because I, um, it was the hardest book I've ever written. It was also because the timing of it coincided with my oldest graduating high school. Like it was the final year of high school and everything that went into, I, I, I never went to high school. So I didn't know how any of that stuff worked. I never went to college. I never, I don't have any experience of any of that stuff. And this particular child is really not the greatest for organization or letting me know things in advance or even fully understanding the work that goes on, the many steps that need to be done. So, so much of that fell on me at the same time of knowing that eventually I was going to need to sell the house and need to move. So that meant making sure that the kid learned how to drive. They were in no hurry for independence. Uh, and, And so there were, you know, the whole driving side of things and sorting out just all the required. So much of that fell on me and everything happened right now. And so for months and months and months, there was hardly two two days together where I could just sit and focus. I was there was these constant okay there I have no choice but to go do this today and take care of it or I, that kid is going to destroy their life and my responsibility as a mother of making sure my kids were okay and that I was getting them set up for independence was was higher priority than the career that I was about to blow up. These are the things you do for your kids because you love them. So it became this seemingly never ending nightmare 
where I never had more than a day or two in a row to sit and just write. So I was never fully able to get back into the story and keep going. And writing, at least for me, requires a lot of time to just not have to deal with that other stuff because it's thinking. And I cannot think that higher level intertwined 3D, how everything fits together type thinking if there's all these interruptions coming at me. And I, I would use that time that I wasn't being interrupted as best as I could, but when it would be mostly chicken scratch and ideas and it's all necessary, but it's part of the process, but that's not the same thing as actually building out scenes and getting into characters' heads and sorting out what needs to go into the dialogue and what matters and what doesn't and motives and how to portray things through a non POV character's eyes who how do we tell this part of the story and as I've talked about before that particular story was just insane for having to come up with that kind of stuff so the only solution I personally know is consistent daily uninterrupted time with words on the page but not everyone is fortunate enough to be able to focus on just that. Like this, what I just described as my, you know, my interruptions. Sometimes some people are probably listening to that and going, yeah, that's my daily life all the time. And there is no end to it. So now what? So I do realize that being a profession, quote unquote, professional author, it's a little different for me because that's, that was my job, right? So if, if you have another job that that's, going to change things for you somewhat in that, uh, you know, most people do have day jobs, even full-time authors have day jobs or they have families to take care of. And and those are their primary responsibilities. So I'm not saying like you have to carve out whole days. It's the consistency and carving out a consistent set of hours or a consistent time to be present in your work, to me, that is the number one solution to getting back into it and staying in it. So when I wrote the first book, I had small kids at home alone. You know, I I was their, I was a stay-at-home mom and they were small and noisy and interruptive as little preschoolers are. It took me three years to write that first book. And I might, I have to add that those were three years in which I consistently still found time every day to work on that project. It, you know, might have been being interrupted every five minutes, but I treated it like an obsession. You know, my house was always a mess. I often just let the kids play on their own, you know, unsupervised. It was childproof, it was safe, but it wasn't like someone, I wasn't helicoptering them. Because that was the only way I could do both. That was the only way I could keep them alive and also write and, and write consistently. So there's there was choices that had to be made, and that those were the choices that I made. Not everybody can make those choices. Sometimes they're just you're only one person. You can only be spread so thin, and some things got to give. And sometimes it's the writing. If that's 
not how you're making your living. You know, I make my living from writing, or at least I did <laughs> not making much of one now, but it, so writing had to take priority, um, from that point on. So once my kids were in school, then the hours that they were in school and then the hours that after they went to bed, those were the hours that I carved out. They were untouchable. And so then and even now, I don't run errands throughout the week. I will do literally anything possible to not leave the house, partially because I'm a hermit, but mostly because I understand the, for me personally, what that interruption does. I might need two or three hours of doing stupid brainless stuff before I sit down to write, and it feels like wasted time. But if I use those same two or three three hours to run around and take care of stuff, I'm still going to need two or three hours of stupid useless stuff before I sit down to write. That's just how my brain needs to cleanse itself. And I hate it. But procrastination is not always procrastination. Sometimes it's you're putting on your mental, you're getting in your mental game, right? So knowing that about myself, I lump everything that needs to get done into one day. And I will take one day out of my week to do that. And if I know that there's going to be some other distracting thing going on, like a doctor's appointment or uh, maybe it's like I have agreed to meet friends out that evening, then I'm going to combine them. I'm going to go, okay, I already know that I'm not going to have the kind of attention today because I'm going out this evening. So I'm going to take the morning to go take care of all this stuff that's been building up and get that off my plate. So I don't have to worry about it. And then I'll go out in the evening, but I'm not going to try and write that day because I know it's going to be a wash. And then that'll allow me to then take the next four five, six days in a row where even if it's crappy writing, I'm still butt in chair, butt glue to where I have to be, um, I'm communicating with the work, I guess you can say. So that's kind of how I deal with it. When I am trying to return to the work after being away for it a long time, I have it in my head that this is not something that I'm just going to be able to sit down, pick it up and get right back to where I left off again. It's just but for the very few blessed, it's just not how it happens. I have to read through the material. I have to get myself back into the frame of mind. I have to go back and read what I already wrote so that I can start to hear my own voice again and pick up the cadence again and then continue on. And then from that point, I will do anything possible to avoid disruption. On, on the long term to avoid having to step away from it. Because even if the day is wasted and I don't hardly make any progress with it, to not be with the work means that the next day is just going to be twice that. And the day after that, it's going to be twice that. And the longer I spend away from it, the harder it's going to be. So I guess the very, very, I mean, that's kind of a an overview of of how I get myself back into it. But if I had to have any takeaway from that, it would be 
try to stay with the work as consistently as possible. So even if you only have an hour or two a day, or even a half an hour a day for your writing time, even if you don't write a single word, and you know you're not going to have time to write a single word, stay with the work. Keep it with you because it keeps it in your subconscious. It keeps your brain focused on it. Even if you don't realize it's still running in the background, right? But when you step away from it completely, then you you shut that thinking process down. It's not even with you anymore. And then it's just so much harder to come back to it. So let's say, well, you didn't have a choice. You had to stay away from it. And now you're back. Well, I know how that feels too. There's this, this idea that just finish it, just get it finished. You know, and, and it's true. You, you can't, you can't perfect, you can't clean up or make better what's not finished to begin with. But anytime I have ever tried to just pick up a project after being away from it for a while, and by a while, I mean like, you know, more than a week or two, and just pick up where I left off, it's been a nightmare because I can't, because I've lost it. I, I, I'm not connected to it anymore. So knowing that, I will, depending on how far, how long it's been since I've been connected to the work, I will go back. If it's been months, a year or more, I go back to the beginning. It's the only way. And just start reading. Get, where was, you know, get into the flow of it. Read it like a reader or whatever. If it's been a week, you know, whatever, I'll go back maybe three, four chapters. And just sort of pick up ahead of where I am right now and just kind of get back into the flow and the rhythm of it. If it's been a day or two, might go back a couple of chapters. But anything more than a day, I'm not going to just sit there and turn on my screen and go, where was I? And then just keep going. I can't. I, I, I can't. Because for me, so much of storytelling is the rhythm and the flow of how information gets put down on the page, the characters' frames of mind, the, the connections, the, how, how it all fits together, the timing of that. It's, it's almost like, um, you know, when comedians talk about there's that comedic timing, right? Like you can, two people can tell the same joke, and just based on the timing of how they tell it, one one way will be funny and the other way will be eh. And for me, writing is so much the same way. It's not just the words on the page. It's the timing, how those words are put down, in what order, in what way. And so to, to pick up on that timing, I've got to go back. I've got to get the rhythm. I've got to get the flow. So the only way that I can sit down at the screen and just turn it on and pick up where I left off is if I am there every single day. And even then, I'm still going back at least a page or two. If, I, if I'm coming to the screen the next day, I've been, been at it every single day for two, three weeks in a row, I will still turn that computer on and I'm still going back like, you know, a couple pages just to get right back into the flow. And as I go back through those pages, I'm cleaning, I'm editing. And as I'm cleaning and editing, my thoughts start sparking and then by the time I hit the, the starting point of where I'm just at really rough or raw material or where material needs to be created fresh, my brain is already in that flow. And so that's how I will do it. 
but I have never been able to just open the computer, start fresh, and just pick up right where I left off under any circumstance. So all of which to say, the longer the time I spend away from it, the further that I've got to go back to get myself back in it. And it can take days. If you're, if you're like three quarters of the way through a book and you, you've been away for it six months, you're reading three quarters of a book before you can even start writing a word. And if you get interrupted and pulled out of that, then you got to go back and start again because you need, like at least me, that's how it works. So I don't know if that answered the question, but that's what my process looks like. There was one phrase that you used that I wrote down that, that really resonated with me, and that's that you need to be uh, continually communicating with the work. And so that, that implies sort of what you were talking about at the end, where you're, you're there every day, and you're going back over a, a few pages and editing and cleaning up. But it's like you have this relationship to the work where you're, you're, you're involved with it every single day. And it's, it, it, my sense is that if you set up a process that said, I'm going to, I, I'm never going to have a day where I don't work at least an hour. My sense is that that probably wouldn't work for you because that might not be enough time for you to set up that communication with the work. That is true. So I, that's a really good way of putting it really, really good way of putting it. And I, I would think that maybe that's what varies from person to person. Some people maybe can set up that communication a lot faster. Maybe it only takes them 10, 15 minutes or even less to reconnect. For me, it takes a lot longer. So maybe for authors who are able to just go up into their room and, you know, pound out 2000 words and come back and join the party. Maybe they just never lose communication with the work, and that's why they can do that. But I'm on the extreme opposite end of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Liv, thank you very much for that, uh, for that question. Thank you very much for your support of the show and your interaction with, with Taylor, both in the Facebook group and on the, on the Patreon page. It is very much appreciated. And thank you all very much for listening. We will be back with you again next Tuesday. Thanks for being here, guys. We'll see you next week. <laughs>